to another NBA show, week 16 in the association. I am your host, Alexander J. Yuri Bilsic and Tom Dev join me for today's show. No Jules, he's gearing up to go watch some NBA games in stateside and Jack could make today's show. Tom, what's going on with you, my friend? Not much, not much. Just, you know, enjoying, enjoying more of this NBA and, you know, neither of us got traded at the deadline, so I'm happy to be back. <laughs> it was touch and go for a second. I've had enough of Yuri Bilsic. How are you, dude? Absolutely splendid, Alex. And the trade deadline, there was three teams which didn't make any sort of levers in terms of pulling for particular players or not. Some that broke down quite considerably as well. So we can probably talk about them a little bit later to really recap on the trade deadline too. We know who those three teams are that were sort of rumoured at one point, probably in the couple of weeks before the trade deadline finished that there would be at least be sort of suitors in a way for certain players. But they didn't, and we'll see what those three particular teams do now for the remaining thirty or so thirty or so games, shall I say, of the regular yeah, season. We will get to it later in the show. Those three teams are the Chicago Bulls, the Los Angeles Lakers, and the Atlanta Hawks, and those were the three teams I thought probably should have been the most active. Um, so it'll be an interesting little quirk when we get to that later in the show. We're looking at the nineteen or so trade day or the day before the end of the deadline deals. Uh, and we're going to briefly touch on each and every one of them and give them a letter grading before we get sick of it at about trade 12, I'm assuming. Uh, are you ready to go, guys? Absolutely. Let's go. We, we can start with uh, the Milwaukee trade with Philadelphia. So Milwaukee received Patrick Beverly and Philadelphia received campaign and a second round pick in 2027. Both of these backup point guards average about six and a half points per game. Yuri, you're our Bucks man. Uh, how do you feel about this trade, Pat Bev to Milwaukee? Yeah, I definitely think it's a fantastic trade for us, Alex. And the perimeter defense, which we have constantly been talking on about this season through the first past 50 games of the season, which has just been porous, right? Just been blown by in the perimeter and which has been a must need of an address. And thank goodness that John Horst and the front office were able to at least address that issue, right? Bring across a veteran like Patrick Beverly, who's been known for his pesky defense over the years with the Houston Rockets, with the LA Clippers, and him and Doc Rivers go back to those Clippers days, back in 2017 to 2020, where Doc coached him. So it seemed as though it was an absolute no-brainer in a way too. And watching yesterday's game against Charlotte, it was super evident early on that when Pat Beverly checked into the game, with about, I think it was 228 or something left in the opening period, right? The Milwaukee crowd gave him a rousing ovation and his first shot goes in for a corner three, I'm pretty sure too. And it was just everything that, that he brought to the table. There was including a clip there where he had the clipboard just basically marking out instructions on the defensive assignment end. And it was, I think, everything that we've wanted as a Bucks fan base, especially this season as well, how everything's gone so bad in a way defensively, even though the Bucks ranked 17th on the defensive end too. But that was one big address that has definitely been corrected. And I'd like to see a lot more sort of the backcourt, a little bit of pattern dame. Even though both guys are listed six foot two, I think that'd be a good sort of sort of combination in the backcourt that Doc can throw at various points with his lineups, right? If so, say if he goes with pattern dame and perhaps even Chris and Jay Crowder, who's, I reckon this season, right, before he had that abdominal strain and missed exactly those couple of months, he was a big piece in the rotation, right? And 
for him to basically be producing why he's produced right when Chris has been out for the last couple of games with that sprained ankle, which he hurt against the Phoenix Suns. That's definitely a combination you can look at as well. Giannis, even though Giannis hasn't really barely played at the five this season, it's something that can work too. And even bigger lineups as well. Perhaps when Dame goes off the bench, when you have Pat, maybe you can move Chris to the two. You can play Jake the three, right? And Giannis or Bobby and Brooke at the so five. I think you're giving this trade an A for the Bucks. Is this what I'm I hearing? I am. <laughs> I'm definitely giving an A. It was, again, to basically tie everything together. It's all it's the component that we needed. And yes, we did absolutely demolish the Charlotte Hornets. Who are the Charlotte Hornets, right? And we held them to 84 points, which I'm pretty sure was the last time the Bucks held a team to that lower of a point is back in November of 2019. So it's a start, right? But then the biggest tests are going to come. Denver and in Miami, those are back-to-back and those are both home games, which is good. And in Memphis, of course, and their injury was this season. But I think for us as well, and just to basically pull it all together, for the Philly side of things as well, I think like Tyrese Maxey, campaign loves to push tempo, and that's something that the 76ers have done really well this season on their behalf too to acquire campaign. So I definitely think it's a both a win-win for both teams. So we go from our Bucks expert to our known Sixers hater in Tom Dev. Uh, any thoughts on campaign there, mate? Ah, uh, not really. I mean, the Sixers as a whole are just sort of in a bit of a tailspin. Last I checked, they're up about ten points against Washington as we record, but. Uh, they're not doing anything with it. It's not a safe lead. No, it's it's not. They're not doing anything with Embiid. They're they're a one man team without him. They're not even with him. I don't think they're making any damage. It's currently a four um, point lead in the fifth quarter. In the fourth quarter, excuse yeah. me. So it, it's close. <laughs> it's yeah, exactly. So I I don't know. But from a Pat Bev Milwaukee you know perspective, I give this maybe a B minus for them. Just you know purely because the talk was that Bobby Portis and Pat Connaughton were on their way out, and they were going to bring in a genuine you know someone who would actually make a big difference and move the needle, whereas Pat Bev, not sure if he really does that to the extent that this Bucks team sort of needed, but this this guy just he he gets under my skin, Pat Bev. He is a known <laughs> he is a known Celtics killer. He just always hits threes against us. So next time we play the Bucks, which is in a few weeks, I think I put him in your multi for two threes and like twelve plus points, fifteen plus points, he'll score it. He's he's, he's career high came against us earlier in this year uh, early in the season sorry when uh you know Embiid and Maxi weren't playing against us and it was just the Pat Bev show and he nearly beat us so I if if the Celtics and the Bucks are to meet the playoffs I expect there'd be a Pat Beverly game and I expect me to you know put my head through a wall because of it but we'll see for the moment I think it's about a B minus Yuri you got 10 seconds left on this trade before we move on to the next one if Bobby Portis had been traded, the whole of Milwaukee would have just lost their heads completely, right? He's our heart and soul of the team, and I think they would have burnt down Hall of Fasa for a man. I, I don't know how active you are on Bucks Twitter, but I've I've been going through a bit of it, and they were they packed his bags. They wanted him gone. They were ready for him to to, to ship off to anywhere else. No way, man. No it's the way. Worst of everybody I, I don't on follow Twitter. X that often, man, but. If yeah, Bobby's only twenty eight, right? Twenty nine. Oh, I think he recently turned twenty nine, actually. So. Hey, still got a good we, amount of years we left. We've got to move on. We can't, we can't spend half an hour on a Pat Bev campaign trail, trade, guys. Uh, all right, the next trade is the New York Knicks receiving Alec Burks and Boyan Bogdanovich from Detroit. Uh, in response, Detroit will get back Quinton Grimes, Malachi Flynn, Evan Fournier, Ryan Akchiakuno, and two future second-round picks. Uh, our Detroit guide, uh, Jack Brophy, the CEO, 
uh, sent me his little recap earlier today. He said, this is an A- minus trade for the Knicks and a C- plus for the Pistons. The Pistons now have the most cap space in the league, over $61 million, and the Knicks gain depth and shooters. Uh, Burks and Bogdanovich going to the Knicks. 12 points per game for Burks, 20 points per game for Boyan. Uh, he shoots 41% from three, I'm pretty sure, so he's doing all right. But both either 32 or 34 years old. So it's, it's a win-now kind of trade for the Knicks, whereas Detroit gets some interesting players. Malachi Flynn's Started the year pretty rough in Toronto. Got got a little bit better as the backup point guard. Wasn't great. Evan Fournier is old. Ryan Akachina Kuno. I don't even know how to say that last name, so he can't be that great. Uh, Quinton Grimes is a flyer. Third-year player. 11 points per game. Shoots like 65% inside the arc, which is pretty interesting. Um, but he's having a bit of a down year this year compared to last. So uh, I think this one's kind of a bit of a wash. Uh, Tom, your thoughts? Uh, for the Pistons, I, I, you know, I don't even think I'm going to bother grading it. From being honest with you, it's just getting off those salaries and getting a little something back. Uh, quite frankly, I think they should next season just print up jerseys that say 61.4 on the back with cap space as the name because uh, that's you know they're not signing anyone with that cap space. If if you ask me, unless it's going to be another Jeremy Grant 2.0, give it to us. Um, we could use it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, even though the, the, the Pistons have won, what, they won two in a row during the week, that's that's unheard of for this season, but uh, I think that's enough Piston talks talk It's unheard of for this decade. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, a Nick's perspective, I love this. I, you know, they didn't give up any first-round picks. They gave up, you know, guys who weren't playing for them, notably Evan Fournier, who they gave that ridiculous contract to. They get Bogdanovich, who I, I, is a solid rotation player. And, you know, we'll give them another offensive weapon. Burks, just another solid veteran who can come in. I mean, he was on the Knicks a few years ago. Uh, this Knicks team, I'm, I'm going to touch on them a little bit later in the show, but they, they scare me. As a, as a fan of the Celtics, they scare me. And yes, they had a bad week, but that's primarily down to injuries. But they've got depth now. And I just, they're, they're, they're coming. They are coming. I, I agree with you. I mean, outside of the Celtics, I think the Eastern Conference is wide open, and this wouldn't shock me if it's a Celtics-Knicks matchup at some point very shortly. Yuri, have you got 15-second uh, thoughts on this trade? We've got 17 more to get to. Yeah, definitely a win for the Knicks, Alex. And I think the three-point shooting, which Tibbs has heavily emphasized to, and he wasn't a big sort of three-point sort of, in a way, didn't really harp too much on three-pointers during his coaching days in Chicago and Minnesota, but what both Alec Burks and... Boyan Bogdanovich provide anyway for the Knicks. I think they take about 37, I think, three-point attempts per game too. And those guys take five to seven three-pointers a game anyway. So it fits the floor spacing really nicely there too. I think a big part as well with Tibbs, and he's normally pretty stringent on his rotations as well, and he doesn't like to play the starters with the second unit, is how he sort of combines that together, and especially once the playoffs begin too as well, because sometimes he normally does cut his rotation down to an eight-man rotation or a nine-man rotation. It's why his former coach, when he was at the New York Knicks as an assistant under Jeff Van Gundy, Van Gundy would always play eight-man rotation with Chris Charles, Kirk Thomas, and Marcus Camby. So how that sort of works out in the last 30 to 32 games with the New York Knicks is going to be really fascinating to watch, right? And some of the lineups that they can do with Alec Burks and Boyan Bogdanovich there too. Because remember when, I think in December, when Derek Rose back in 2021 basically fell out of the rotation and Alec Burks took over as the starting point guard, right? You don't normally associate Burks as being the point guard because he's always been a shooting guard or small forward in his career. And 
he did pretty well in the facilitating role. Maybe not, of course, in the esque of a Steve Nash or Jason Kidd, but he was solid in that regard. And I think that's something that they've really got up their sleeve now to Knicks with having Burks there if they want to make him run the point as well at times. And it's a really, it's a really good move for the Knicks just to really tie it all in together. Okay, next trade, Oklahoma City receiving Gordon Hayward for Trey Mann, Davis Bertans, Vasily Mircic, and some draft stuff all going to Charlotte. Uh, I had this as a B-plus trade for OKC. I think that Gordon Hayward pickups are quite good considering he's an expiring contract, so you're getting off 30 mil at the end of the year. Averages 14-5-5, and although has been injured since, I think, the day after Christmas. Um, Charlotte getting back Trey Mann, who's good, but couldn't crack the rotation in a stacked OKC side. Uh, Davis Bertans, who I eh, don't really care. And Vasily Mircic, the rookie from the EuroLeague, who just probably wasn't NBA ready. I've been reading Thunder Reddit accounts, and they all kind of say he probably wasn't good enough to get minutes on this OKC side. Uh, Tom, your thoughts on this trade? I had a B plus. I, I think for OKC, this is an A. You know, they didn't really give up anything of massive value. Gordon Hayward, I mean, he's been injured since basically that first game he played for the Celtics. Well, it's not a time, yeah, but since that first game he played for the Celtics and he's never really gotten back to what he was. I mean, on Twitter, OKC fans are all like, oh my God, we've got Gordon Hayward posting highlight reels and they were from 2016, 2017. So it's, <laughs> you know, long, long time ago. Um, but look, who knows? If he can get healthy, he might, you know, get to that sort of 20 points per game in this sort of team. Um, will he even be closing? I don't know. I mean, Josh Giddy doesn't even close, so are they really going to put Haywood in there? We'll see. But look, it's worth a flyer. This team needed just one more piece, and if Haywood can get to 80% of the player he was, he's going to be good. And then, you know, Charlotte, they're in full blow-it-up mode. Uh, you know, they've traded away Rosier and Haywood and then PJ Washington, and, you know, basically Bridges just decided he didn't want to go anywhere. Otherwise, I think he would have also been out the door. So... It'll be interesting to see what Charlotte does as a whole. I you know, don't really see them anywhere, but for OKC, I give them an A. Yuri? Yeah, agree as well with OKC. And that was the whole talk in the lead-up to the trade deadline as well. Would OKC just make one needle in the haystack move to just maybe push them above and be in the Western Conference Finals? And we saw right with Gordon Hayward when he was in Utah, just how efficient he was every time he had the ball right just those mid-range pull-ups and I think he made the all-star team back in 2017 but those first signs like 2014-15 where we thought oh this guy's going to be an all-star right and just he had the whole game his rebound he was really good his facilitating got a lot better and it was definitely the future there at Utah at one stage until of course that big free agency deal and the two good opportunity to resist, right, to reunite with Brad Stevens when, of course, those two go all the way back to their college days at Butler, right, when they made the finals. Well, I think it was the year after when Gordon Hayward got drafted, they made the final and lost to Kemba Walker's UConn team. But just going back to Gordon Hayward, and I think what he can provide anyway to OKC is just that further scoring anyway, which they've already got any at in absolute leaps and bounds. But the other part as well is because OKC don't take many threes as well, and Gordon Hayward does all mix and match with his three-point selection as well. That I think fits in perfectly with the whole OKC offensive system that they've already got under coach Mark Dagnot, shall I say. And I think this is just that move at the right time for the Thunder, even though, yes, he's 34 later on this year. But I think he's been producing – he produced solid basketball at Charlotte, right? His numbers mm. were still around – 
16, 17 points per game. And yes, of course, that ankle injury all the way back to opening night of 2017 against the Cleveland Cavaliers definitely put a big dent into all of it. But he's still got a good fair amount of basketball left in him as well. And he can basically beat up backseat in terms of being that third or fourth scoring option there. Okay, trade number, I think we're up to four out of 19, so we're going to have to start picking up the pace. Toronto received Kelly Olynyk, the Canadian heading home, and O'Shea Agbaji from Utah in response. Utah get Kira Lewis, uh, might be a fourth-year player at this point, not really sure, and Otto Porter, and a first-round pick. However, it's not a great one. It's the least favorable this year of OKC, the Clippers, the Rockets, and the Jazz. So it's probably going to be 27th or 28th. Um, Kelly Olynyk, 8-5-4 this year, shooting 43% from three. Backup center Toronto needs, uh, and he seems to have been a Raptors fan his entire life. So it's a good pickup, I think, there. O'Shea Agbaji has been playing 20 minutes a game. It's only his second season. I think he was the 14th pick last year. Uh, only five points per game at the backup shooting guard uh, in Utah this year. Probably a B trade for Toronto. I'm not really sure what Utah is doing here outside of getting another first and a flyer in Kira Lewis, who has dealt with some knee injuries. Tom, any particular thoughts here? Not really. I, I, I'm just <laughs> all on board. I'm just all on board Toronto just getting Canadian players. SGA. Team Canada. SGA. Yeah. SGA. Uh, <laughs> look, I think, I think SGA and Jamal Murray might be a bit bit of a stretch, but maybe Andrew Wiggins in the offseason. Who knows? If we can get him for less than $30 million, sure. Uh, Yuri, any thoughts on this trade quickly? Yeah, I think it's a weird trade in a way too. Toronto's in sort of this unpredictable position, right? I don't know exactly how the whole roster's really sort of... Well, their roster in terms of, yes, Scotty Barnes being their future or well, being their face of the franchise for the coming years. But it's it's a really peculiar one on both sides as well, what they're trying to do in that aspect. Maybe perhaps in the Utah standpoint of view as well, getting more of those first-round picks perhaps potentially, even though they're in the playing position, right? It's, it's, a very, it's a very murky trade, to be honest. Okay, next trade. We've got Philadelphia receiving Buddy Heald, Indiana getting Furkan Korkmaz, finally released after begging for about five years from the Sixers, Marcus Morris, and three second-round picks. Uh, I rate this trade an A for Philadelphia. You're getting Buddy Heald, who averages 12 points a game this year, but he shoots the shit out of it from three-point land. Averages seven attempts for the year at 38%. Shot 12 in his first game for the Sixers, so it's clear he's coming out firing. Uh, Yuri, your thoughts on Buddy Heald and Philly? It's a much-needed one for three-point shooting for the 76ers, Alex, and they rank in the bottom 10 for three-point attempts too, and I think it addresses the whole lot that they need in terms of perimeter shooting. And he saw his minutes fluctuate quite considerably. Indiana, right, with Bandic Matherin there too and Andrew Nemhart, and his minutes, I think, were his lowest since 2017-18, which at the time he was at the Sacramento Kings, it was about 25.7 that he was averaging with the Pacers this season. So it was basically a no-brainer that, he was on the way out anyway. And those rumors that just kept circulating in the weeks leading up to the trade deadline where Buddy's future would be with Indiana. And I think it's one for the 76ers, right, where they can do a lot of different combinations with floor spacing, right, with Tyrese Maxey there who can kick and drive and all those different things that he does, right, in the open floor. And Buddy can just be standing there on the wing on the corner threes and do what he does best, and that's shoot threes. And it's we've seen that early on, right, that first game. Yes, even though they lost to the Atlanta Hawks, and I think just going going forward as well with just those floor shooters. That I think Daryl Morey, when he was in Houston, right, he was the really the first one to bring that whole floor spacing and the three point shooting. Even though way back with Mike D'Antoni's Phoenix Suns, seven seconds or less, they'll 
basically heavily predicated on perimeter shooting too. So I think it's a really good move as well for Philly too because now Joel Embiid going to be reevaluated next month as well. They've got to somehow find different offensive options right within the whole arsenal. They've been trying Mo Bump. They've, of course, been starting Paul Reed there too, So, but with Buddy Hield. And as for, I think, San Antonio Spurs, so Marcus Morris, as you've mentioned too, Alex, was part of that trade. He got moved to the Spurs, but I think they're looking to either waiver him at this point because it's really ironic, right? Because I think five years ago, he had an agreement to sign with the Spurs and turned his back on them. I think it was in 2019, if not mistaken, yeah, as well. Like ended that. up signing with the New York Knicks. So it's very ironic how it comes full circle around. Tom, any thoughts? I, I like Buddy Hield for the Sixers. Get more shooting around Embiid. I mean, we saw one of Embiid's probably best ever teammates was actually Seth Curry because he just had that shooting around him. So I feel like Hield can easily replicate that role. Uh, Furco and Courtmars, you know, nice to see his trade request you know, finally honoured. Uh, although I think he got bought out immediately. So. I, think, I think he asked for that trade request prior to COVID. So a whole world ago, he's been sitting on the sixes trying to get out. So good for him. Yeah. Unless your name's Ben Simmons or James Harden, I don't think you ever get out of Philly. Um, uh, Marcus Morris, uh, he hasn't really been a great player since he was, was traded to the Clippers originally in, what, 2020? So, uh, you know, not much. I mean, Indiana got rid of him straight away again so they they clearly aren't looking for more players they just wanted to get rid out of that buddy the Hill league. contract out oh. the league we'll see but yeah a, a for philly okay next qu- uh we've got a funny one coming up next it's the injured trade for an injured superstar steven adams and victor oladipo swapped between houston and memphis uh, Memphis also getting three second round picks because Stephen Adams has got a contract for next year and Victor Oladipo doesn't. I've got it as a B trade as far as injured for injured swaps goes. Uh, it's a backup center to Nurture, Alper, and Shengun in Houston. Oladipo, you take a flyer on if he comes healthy by the end of the year, but again, nothing much here. Yuri, thoughts then, Tom? I also found it very strange, right, why Stephen Adams was traded in the first place considering he'd been averaging... Well, I think last season he averaged about five offense, five offensive rebounds a game, right, which led the league in that category too. And he was just – he's been an absolute rebounding beast right throughout his career. And sort of with Brandon Clark's Achilles injury too, now Xavier Tillman being well, traded to the Boston the, the Celtics. And, for. It frees up yeah. $13 million for him. So they're going to need someone for both Brandon Clark. Uh, they got rid of Xavier Tillman, who will come for, and Stephen Adams. So I don't think they really wanted to trade him, but it's just a matter of we're going to have to get somebody to help. Yeah, definitely for sure. And I think for a Grizzly standpoint with Victor Oladipo, and we've seen, of course, what, nearly five years ago, right? He was an all-star for the Pacers, and he had that absolutely nasty knee injury against Toronto. And I think it was February 23 or something. He hurt his patella, dislocated it. And unfortunately, he wasn't quite the same player ever since, which was an absolute travesty in a way too, because he'd been absolutely having a great season. That Pacers team had basically achieved past expectations, right? I think they finished fifth that year in the Eastern Conference and lost to the Celtics in the first round and thought this was going to be for at least maybe next four or five seasons that Victor Oladipo is the face of the Indiana Pacers and it wasn't meant to be, unfortunately. Mr. Dev, your thoughts? Um, oh, This is pretty hard to grade just because, you know, Adam's injured for the rest of the year. Oladipo, I mean, Memphis waved him straight away, so they're obviously not that yeah. interested in him. Um, they get a couple, you know, three second round picks, but I think we're 
not 100% sure exactly what the value of second round picks are yet because we're kind of in this new era where all these GMs want to get all these second round picks and they're more valuable than what they used to be, but we're yet to really see that translate in the draft. So we'll, we'll see in maybe three, four years' time exactly what these second round picks kind of look like. But I don't know. Memphis without Stephen Adams, they, they were so much better with him. Obviously, he's injured, so it doesn't not like he's going to play, but you know, all the numbers were there last year that when they, he was on the court with uh, Jaron Jackson playing the four they were a much better team. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if Memphis can actually find someone to sort of take that role next year because you have to think they're going to be reloaded and ready to be a contender again next year. This is one of the first things I thought of Stephen Adams next year on Houston. You're going to have Fred Van Vliet second pick and rolls with him and then you've got all this young talent who needs veteran leadership. I think it's a great pickup for Houston even if he doesn't play for the rest of the year. But I'm with you, Tom. I don't know what the hell Memphis does after this. Uh, speaking of Memphis, they sent Xavier Tillman to the Celtics for Lamar Stevens, and then like two second round picks that extend out to 2030. As our Celtics guy, Tom, take the floor. Um, this one's hard to sort of judge. I mean, Tillman's probably going to be the third to fourth, maybe big man. I mean, Joe Can Mazzula. I ask who has... the hell Lamar Stevens is? He was. He was. He started a few games for the Cavs last year, but he was just the end of the bench. Never okay. really, even in garbage time, never really saw the floor. Um, so, you know, look, he's shown signs in Cleveland last year that he could be a, a decent player, not like a, an all-star, that's for sure, but like a role player, like a ninth man. So he'll get more minutes on Memphis, so that would be nice for him. Got rid of two second-round picks that I don't think were worth that much. And look, Tillman, uh, all the talk is that he can defend some of the big men a bit better. So maybe in a series against the Bucks or the Sixers, he might do well against Embiid and Giannis. Maybe against uh, uh, Jokic, he could be helpful. But end of the day, I think come playoffs, we're going to see basically the Celtic starters, Horford, Sam Hauser, and maybe a little bit of Pritchard, but that's probably it coming off the bench. I think it'll be a seven to eight man rotation max. So I really don't see Tillman factoring in, but who knows? He's good insurance if Porzingis gets injured or if Horford gets injured. So look, I'll give it like a B minus for the moment, but could change either way. Yuri, you got 10 seconds on this trade or do you want to move on? I think it's a good trade for the Celtics. And we saw last postseason, right, with Xavier Tillman. Game two against the Lakers in the first round series. 22 points and 13 rebounds. And I don't think many of us and definitely not many of the Grizzlies fans or even the Lakers thought that he'd produce a double-double in that particular game too. And I think just, I think with an offensive standpoint as well, you're not going to, of course, run a lot of touches with him too. But he's he's a pretty good finisher around the rim as well, even though sort of his field goal numbers from two-point and three-point territory had plummeted quite significantly this season alone. But again, like Tom said, it's insurance backup. If either Horford or Porzingis goes down and misses a number of weeks here or there too, or either they're on rest, you can bring Tillman and start him like what the Memphis Grizzlies did last postseason. So it's a good move anyway for the Celtics and just basically shores up more beef in the big front line. Next trade is a funny one. Uh, we've had discussions in our group chat on WhatsApp about why the hell Kevin Knox was getting minutes for Detroit. They finally traded him to Utah along with the rights to, I hope I'm saying this right, Gabriel Prodocia, Prochidita, I don't know, and a second round pick this year for Simone Fontecchio, who just in case you don't watch Utah, and I won't, that, again, there's 30 teams, you can't watch everybody. Simone's been really good for Utah. Um, in the FIBA World Cup in the offseason, averaged 18 points a game, five and a half rebounds playing against the likes of you know world-class athletes. I think that's a great pickup for Detroit and had it as a B-plus trade. Uh, don't know if either of you have major thoughts, and I haven't yet got Jack Brophy's reaction to getting Simone uh, or getting rid of Kevin Knox might be the better answer here. But anyone got anything on this trade? 
I think for scoring and all that for Detroit is what they desperately need anyway, and Simone will provide that quite considerably. And I think it's a it's a good move anyway for Detroit, even though we still don't know exactly moving ahead as well with the Pistons and sort of how to well the starting five you could say is starting to slowly establish too. We've seen Jalen Duran have a monster game against Portland, twenty seven points and twenty two rebounds, but Simone is one of those bigger small forwards in the way too. I think. It's, it's listed about six foot seven or six foot eight. So I think that's definitely a big plus for the Pistons moving forward too. And his name was sort of brought about too in trade rumors as well in the lead up to the trade deadline. So I think for Utah, that sort of seems like a big loss anyway, because he was starting when Will he Hardy was. made those lineup changes, right? With having John Collins and Laurie Markinen and Colin Sexton, two in the starting five, and Chris Dunn, pretty sure, was the other starter as well at the point guard position. So I think it's a big loss in the way for Utah and a win for the Pistons on that trade. Tom, got any thoughts about Utah, excuse me, Denver shuffling the deck, getting rid of uh, the other Frenchman that we haven't yet to mention today? Not really. I, I, you know, Killian Hayes. Yeah. I, I didn't know if you were going yeah. to finish my sentence there. Sorry. Oh, no, no, no. Killian Hayes, yeah. I, I, mean, I don't know if any of you have watched the baseball movie Moneyball with Brad Pitt, but you know, if you haven't, great movie. But, you know, Brad Pitt the, the, plays the GM. Um Billy Bean for the Oakland uh, athletic baseball team. And basically the coach refuses to go to his plans and, you know, Billy then decides to cut the player that was playing over the guy Billy wanted to play. Yeah, based on true story, that's basically what's happened here. They're getting rid of all the guys because Monty Williams just for some reason wasn't playing the youth. Let's play the youth. Who cares? It's Detroit. I mean, what? If they get to 15 wins for the rest of the year, that'll be a miracle. So who cares? Like, that's enough time on Detroit. That's a, gr- that's a great trade. analogy. You know, Mr. Pop Culture over here. Uh, I'd love to say I took that one. That, that came from me, but that was all on Twitter. <laughs> Just keep it shut next time. We could have given you the credit. Uh, Gabriel Proshida was the 36th pick in the 2022 draft. So the Italian uh, refusing to come over for some reason that I am not going to read into because I can't be bothered. Next trade. I have no major thoughts about this. Minnesota get Monte Morris from Detroit again, shuffling the cards. Uh, Detroit gets Shake Milton, Troy Brown Jr. in a second round in 2030. Yuri, go ahead. Yeah, great trade for the Timberwolves and they've been thinking about this for the last couple of days. But again, that flawed general stability with Mike Conley and Monte Morris there to back him up. And both guys average less than one and a half turnovers a game. Their sister turnover ratio is splendid. And Monte can be a starter too. And we saw that during the 21-22 season when Jamal Murray missed that entire campaign with the torn left ACL, which he did against Golden State in the previous April 12th. That previous season, shall I say. And his IQ as well in the point guard spot, he always picks the right passes at the right time to get to his teammates. And it's, it's another win for the T-Wolves just to really shore it up because I thought we spoke about this quite a few episodes back. And we were asked about Minnesota's rotation. I was like, who would you like to see feature more predominantly in the rotation? I said Troy Brown Jr. just for his defense. And sadly, he sort of fell out of favor in Chris Finch's rotation too. Shake Milton was the other one, which we thought he'd come in handy and provide some really good offensive punch off the bench. And sadly, that didn't occur. So I think for Minnesota, in terms of the guard and the point guard spot, it's a really good fill-in as well. And one that if they do want to rest Mike Conley on some games in the back end of the season, Monte Morris can fit in seamlessly and play his role and really find synergy like what Mike Conley's done with Rudy Gobert and what Anthony Edwards has done with Rudy Gobert recently as well. They're one-two partnerships on the floor. So 
it's looking good there, Minnesota, with that floor general position. Tom, do you care to comment on this trade or do you want to move on to the Daniel Gafford, Rashawn Holmes? We're in the back end of these trades. I think there's two interesting ones left, but go ahead. Uh, yeah, let, let's keep moving. A for Minnesota, good backup. Let's keep moving. I mean, okay. I, I, I'm looking at the dock. I could just go straight in the next one and say that I really like what Dallas did with getting Gafford and I'll give that an A as well. I mean, is it really going to turn them from what they are now to, you know, being a top tier contender? Not in my books, but it's just another good piece. And, you know, the, the next couple of trades when we get to the next Dallas trade. I'm more keen to talk about that one. Uh, Washington did lose to the Sixers by six. This just wrapped up. So uh, your Sixers heads, I'm sure you know the end result. Anyway, Washington got Rashawn Holmes and a Thunder first for Daniel Gafford. Next one, Toronto received Spencer Dinwiddie from Brooklyn and then waved him straight away. They sent away Thad Young, who's done... Uh, not Saying nothing is not fair. He's done a little bit, but he, he didn't do too much for Toronto this year. And Dennis Schroeder, who was pretty good, but started to have some rumors um, amongst Toronto fans that he was unhappy with playing time, unhappy coming off the bench being the second man. You know, Scotty Barnes is really leading that team now. Schroeder averages 14-3-6 this year. He won a gold medal in the offseason. Um, he might make an impact in Brooklyn. I know, Yuri, you wanted to make a comment on this one. I had it as a C trade. I don't really care. Oh, there's one part to it as well. And Spencer Dinwiddie, after being wavered, is signed with the Lakers for the okay. rest of this season. Was that today? Because I've missed that. I knew he yeah, sat down in the today. Lakers game. And even a Mavericks game, I think he sat down with the yeah, ownership group. Yeah, it was with Rob Palinka, the vice president. If I'm being completely honest, agent. don't rate Spencer Dinwiddie anymore. Since it's it, Look, in his heyday, a great 15, 20-point-per-game scorer. He can still go off. But, I mean, I mean, come on, it's Spencer Dinwiddie. You're not... For the Lakers? Anyway, I'll leave my... Hating aside, for the next trade, which I think is fairly interesting, um, Charlotte sends, depending on who you ask, maybe their second best player or their fourth best player in PJ Washington to Dallas, along with uh, two second round picks for Grant Williams and Seth Curry in a first round draft pick. I don't know the year on that first rounder. Um, I don't know how to rate this trade for Charlotte because, you know, Seth Curry getting up there in age, he can still shoot pretty well, but he's undersized and slow. He gets picked apart on defense. Grant Williams, the hope was, obviously, Tom, you would know that he'd be really uh, handy in Dallas, but that hasn't eventuated. Maybe that's just a result of playing with Luca. PJ Washington, Washington, excuse me, can score the basketball though. So scoring for Dallas, they might just try and outscore everybody. Tom, you got thoughts? Yeah, uh, I really like PJ Washington for Dallas. Uh, you know, I mean, look, they gave up a first round pick, but outside of that, you know, Seth Curry wasn't playing, and Grant Williams is arguably probably on one of the worst contracts in the league now. Um, you know, again, no one knows your your team like a, a supporter of the team, but you know, when we got rid of Grant Williams, I wasn't losing any sleep over it because I knew he, he had that game against Milwaukee two years ago in the playoffs where he had seven threes and was you know just hitting everything, but. Uh, after that, he hasn't done anything since, you know, except for missing free throws in the clutch to, you know, lose against Cleveland. Uh, it, he's got no confidence anymore. His three-point shot's just not falling. And all he does is just stand on the perimeter, pump fake. The defender just sort of looks at him and laughs, and then he tries to move to the rim, does nothing. I, I feel for him, but at the same time, you know, Joe Missoula cut him out of the rotation last year. And, you know, for people to say that the Celtics were going to miss him this year was laughable. And now people are seeing the truth, that he's just not that great of a player. Um, so, look, if Charlotte can get off that contract at some stage, that'd be good for them. But otherwise, again, he's just going to probably be you know, their seventh, eighth man and waste away. But I'm excited to see what PJ Washington can do with Dallas. And, you know, they had a great uh, win against OKC earlier this morning with both their new guys. And I don't know, if we have time, I'll talk a little bit more about Dallas later. But they're, they're, they're an interesting... I can't pick where to rank them at the moment. 
Yeah, uh, if you haven't been watching, PJ Washington, uh, maybe after the first 10 games of the season, really, really fun for Charlotte. Even recently, like the last 15 to 20 games, playing really well. Grant Williams might find some time to get his confidence confidence back. Excuse me. No one's watching those Charlotte games, and he's not going to be on the scouting report, so he's got every chance of improving. Yuri, uh, do you want to talk about this one or the uh, Utah Watanabe trade? I think Jimmy Butler had the last laugh over Grant Williams last <laughs> postseason. I think that's what probably ended it all. You could surely call him the Giannis stopper, right, from the postseason between the Bucks and Celtics back in 2022. But I think for a Dallas point of view as well, these two trades with Gafford and Washington are big, right? I think just for Gafford in terms of rim protection as well and rebounding, even though it's strange, right, because you look at Gafford's rebounding numbers, I think it was 7.9 or something that he's averaging in terms of rebounds a game, which is – all pretty low. I think be averaging maybe close to 10, but it's a it's a need that Dallas had to address in terms of rebounding because last season they were a pretty poor rebounding team and this season's sort of been so-so in the way too. So it definitely feels a need, especially with Derek Lively as well. He's been missing a few games here and here and there as well and he sort of have, hasn't been able to stay healthy consistently this season. So it's definitely a really good backup for Dallas in terms of that. And PJ Washington too, you can play him at the five. I don't really see the Mavericks anyway with Coach Jason Kidd playing him, playing him at the five. You can play him at the three even and perhaps even go big ball in the way if you want to, if you're the Dallas Mavericks too. So they've got a different assortment of combinations that they can use during games as well with either PJ or Daniel Gafford there on the floor. So it's definitely two areas that they address quite significantly. And I think for Charles as well, it's sort of, as Tom said a few minutes back too, they've basically gone back to rebuilding and retooling mode and build around LaMelo Ball once he comes back from his injury and see where it all goes from there right now for the Hornets. But for the Mavericks and where they're at too, they've won, what, their last four games now to jump to 30 and 23. So they're starting to just resurrect the ship a little bit. There was a point there where they were playing really well to start the season. I think they were about 17 or 9 or something like that to start the season. And, of course, they had that little bit of a funk there and fell down from the playoffs into the playing. But especially those spots there, right, with Phoenix 5th, Sacramento 6th, who beat Denver yesterday. You have the Pelicans who lost their Lakers yesterday there in 7th. It's going to be a real jostle for those 5th and 6th spots because those top four spots in the West, right, with the Minnesota Timberwolves, the LA Clippers, the Nuggets and OKC Thunder, those will be determined, those teams jostling for those top four seeds. But those fifth and sixth spots are going to be highly intriguing right for the rest of this season. All right, I've got six trades left and they all suck. So I'm going to rattle them off and give a grade. If you want to talk a sentence on each, go ahead. Uh, Memphis received Utah Watanabe and a right to swap picks with Phoenix for big body David Roddy. Indiana received David, uh, sorry, David, Dougie McBuckets from the Spurs and sent Marcus Morris and a second round pick. We spoke about that one earlier. Uh, I think both of those trades are C's. Don't really care. Give it a C minus. Milwaukee received cash for sending away Robin Lopez Jr. to Sacramento. Makes me think the brothers had a bit of a falling out or maybe a tussle wrestling like they used to. Uh, Indiana received Corey Joseph and cash uh, for from Golden, uh, from the Warriors, excuse me. They got a second round pick. Portland got Delano Banton and Boston got a heavily protected second round pick. And then Boston received Jaden Springer, um, as we I think we mentioned earlier from Philly. Any thoughts on any of those? I've put them all together because I think they're just, they come out as a wash. They're C minus, nothing appropriate there. I think the Utah Watanabe trade as well, because he was featured predominantly in the rotation early this season for Frank Vogel. And I think at the time, the Suns were still figuring out about their best 
bench players and who to bring on and basically establish a rotation, right? And his defense was always the question mark, I think, though, Alex, and especially going into the season, right? It was already well documented that scoring wasn't going to be a Suns issue. It was always going to be on the defensive end and sort of he was one of those players that even though he's got size and length but can't defend perimeter guys, that was the issue, I think, moving ahead. And I think for the Grizzlies as well to acquire him, well, three-point shooting, they're not a great three-point shooting team, even though they take an absolute boatload of threes, right? They take close to 40 attempts a game. I think they're in the top eight for three-point attempts this season out of the 30 teams. So if he does feature in some games, then that's why his role will be to knock down those wing or corner threes. But I think... Yeah, that's my sort of overall view on both sides of the trade for Phoenix and for Memphis as well in that regard. I don't really have, really have anything else. Maybe apart from Indiana with Dougie McBuckets, McDermott, who was on the Pacers roster, I think, back in 2019, 2020, if not mistaken, too. And three-point shooting is an area which the Pacers love to take under Rick Carlisle. They jack up a number of threes. They rank again the top 10 for three-point attempts, and he fits that mold in nicely. He takes six, seven, three-point attempts per game and shoots them basically at a 40% clip. So it feels addressed there for the Pacers, but how much playing time he does get as well because it is a pretty stacked second unit they've got. Tom, do you even want to talk about any of these last six trades or just move on to the biggest news from the week? Uh, look, we're, we're, we're all adults here. We know what happens on Saturday nights. We record on a Sunday. I've not had enough sleep to talk about any of these trades. Let's keep it rolling. What, what happens on Saturday nights, Tom? Oh, movie marathons. You know? <laughs> movie marathons. All right. Um, take your pick. You can start off on the next segment just for that. So biggest news from the week for you is? Um, well, I've sort of gone a bit of a different route because I don't think there's, you know, obviously all the trades have sort of been the big news and we've sort of covered that. So I just sort of thought, you know, now's probably a good time to sort of just sit down and sort of assess where these teams are now that we sort of know what the rosters are. I mean, obviously buyouts still to come, but I doubt there's going to be any, you know, real change in the in the, you know, contenders with the buyout so i thought i'd just sort of briefly run through the uh where i'm sort of ranking these teams in tiers and then you know we'll talk about three of the teams i've sort of picked out more in depth after but for the moment i've got you know tier one front runners i've got celtics denver reluctantly i put the clippers in there as much as i still doubt them uh tier 1b which i think is just a you know touch below these front runners i got Timberwolves, thunder Knicks, suns and bucks for the moment we'll touch on them in a minute uh, need to see how they go post deadlines tier three, and that's just the Mavs. I, I, you know, I, I just I don't know how to assess them yet without actually watching them play with these new guys. Um, postseason demons, you know, those teams are. It's like we've seen what they've done in the postseason. Can we really trust them again? The oh, Miami Mavs category. The Miami category. Well, no, I've got. I, I don't think they're postseason. They're kind of the opposite because postseason demons for me are sort of just like oh, you know, we've seen them underperform in the playoffs so I, I, we don't really I can't trust them gotcha. so for me I've got Cavs Kings and 76ers of course plus 76ers without Embiid uh, who knows I don't think they're doing anything um, and then you know the last tier I've sort of got you don't want to see them in round one but I just don't feel like they're going to win it at all uh, Pacers Heat Lakers Warriors Magic and Pelicans um, so that's sort of where I rank them at the moment and then the team I really want to talk about uh, are the Bucks because you know I just the start could not have gone any worse for Doc just on the injury front I, you know you can look at the record but unfortunately for him he's walked in and then all of a sudden Middleton had that rolled ankle against the Suns Lillard's been missing games and it's just it's unfortunate you know it's like trying to put out a house that's on fire and then all of a sudden the backyard catches fire too and you're like great this is another thing to add to my list um 
you know, look, they were blown out by the Timberwolves. They got outscored 40 to 13 in the fourth quarter against Utah the other night and blew that lead. And, you know, the, the thing that's most concerning, though, is that they have the hard, the fourth hardest remaining schedule, according to Tankathon. Um, they have to play the Celtics, Clippers, and OKC twice, and then the Timberwolves, Knicks, and Denver once more. No real big deadline move, and, you know, Knicks and Cavs are breathing down the neck. But as a Celtics fan, at no stage am I ever counting this Bucks team out. And, look... They don't seem like they're trending towards being a championship team at the moment, but I, I think they will. I, I, I still have all faith, which I, I'm going to hold on to this until basically they get knocked out. I, I don't think they're going to drop out whatsoever. Um, and then look, Knicks uh, quickly on them, you know, had an injury affected week, but what causes concern for me was I'm not sure if after we recorded last week, you guys, you know, ran to the TV like I did to watch the second half of that Lakers Knicks game. But, uh, you know, the offense completely stalled when Brunson was double teamed and they failed to score for seven straight minutes in the fourth quarter and they were outscored 33 to 19. What's going to happen in the playoffs? You know, I mean, Randall has shown that he can stall in the playoffs. You know, we forget, but after last year's, you know, second round, I think, fans were running outside Madison Square Garden, pulling down photos of Randall and trying to stomp on him and whatnot. He, he has a postseason history of not I think really... that's why they got the two shooters at the deadline, Tom. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But, you know... What happens if a team can scheme for Brunson for you know a seven-game series? Will he be as effective as what we've seen? I'm not so sure. I mean, I was really high on the Knicks last week, and then we saw what happened uh, in that second half, and it, it just seemed too easy for the Lakers. It's like they were down by six or seven in three quarters time, and then they came out, double-teamed them, and then they couldn't get anything going. And then finally, you know, we're at halftime of the Suns game, Suns and Warriors game at the moment, and it's a tight one, but... Suns finally seem to be on the right track, but the, the big three are, are now getting healthy. They're 31 and 21, but are they a legit like, contender? I mean, Alex, I know you said your New Year's resolution was to not watch them anymore. I've been sticking to it. Have, I've been sticking, sticking to, to it. I, I've been dabbling a little bit of Phoenix time, but uh, I don't know. I still, it's just their team just doesn't feel like, you know, uh, you think about some of the best teams we've seen in the last few years where it's like that Warriors team where the ball's just flying around and it's just chemistry's on point. And, that's what I really liked about the Knicks before all these injuries happened is it felt like their chemistry was on point. Whereas for the Suns, it's just a lot of your turn, my turn. Oh, Nurkic is going to do this and then he's going to go sit on the bench for 10 minutes and not even get on the floor because he's just not doing anything. I, I don't know. Can this team really make a playoff push and, and through four rounds with a heavily stacked offense and not a great defensive backbone? I'm not sure. So we'll see. But that's sort of my overview of some of the teams, the contending teams so far. All right. Well, let's let's talk briefly about all three. So I'll start with the Bucks because I know Yuri might have a bit more to say with me. I think I said it on last week's show. If it wasn't last week's, it was two weeks ago. I don't trust a team with Doc Rivers as their head coach to win a title, let alone get to the NBA Finals. Uh, I'm open to changing that opinion next year, depending on... I think he brought in like assistant coaches with really good X and O's. Um, research and records. I, I've still got a, 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 an internet tab open with the names of those guys and I was going to do some film work after today's show. Uh, but I just don't care about him this year. Uh, Giannis is on a mission. He still might be the best player on earth, but with Doc Rivers as your X's and O's guy, you're not going anywhere, so I don't care. Um, Yuri, come on, talk over the top of me. I'm happy for... So those coaches, right, you mentioned too, Alex, is one of them's Dave Yeager, who used to be the Memphis Grizzlies coach. He was assistant under Lionel Hollins before Hollins was fired at the end of the 2013 season, despite the Grizzlies winning 56 games and reaching the Western Conference Finals. He was assistant under Doc Rivers at the Philadelphia 76ers. He was the Sacramento Kings coach in the 2018-19 season when they won and none 39 of these, games. none of these teams did anything. So I'm not saying Dave no. Yeager's a bad coach. I'm just saying I need 
to see more. Like, it, this isn't he's, the reason. He's I'm, a very good defensive coach. Very good defensive coach, which yeah, is that's I'm why his man. game is predicated on as a coach. And yeah. I think Joe Prunty is still on the staff, which is great. He used to coach the great Great Britain Great Britain men's basketball team as well for a number of years, and he's a really good basketball mind he's and an speaks really guy, well. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's another and guy, who's Jason the, Kids. Do you happen right to know who the man, third coach? assistant coach is? I, I can't remember who it is. I might try and find it quickly. If you don't, that's okay. No, can't remember exactly. I think Josh Oppenheimer is still on the staff too. And I think Patrick Matumbo is still on the staff as well. It could have been so either of those guys. Got, I'm not sure. Yeah, some of the assistants there from Adrian Griffin's staff uh, are with Doc Rivers currently at the moment. And yeah, I think it provides definitely a different sort of view in a way too. Doc hasn't really done much, I think, in terms of the. Ever. No, no. What, what, yeah. what, what I mean is Ever. adjustments. What I mean. Well, no, what I mean is adjustments with the lineup, which is great because we're still playing Brook Lopez at a drop coverage. He's still alternating those minutes right where Giannis will check out with, say, 6.05 left in the first and Bobby will come in and play with Brook and then Brook will sub out for Giannis and Giannis will play Bobby. So those combinations are still working, which is a good thing as well. And you've got to stick to it anyway in that aspect. And I think the minutes as well with... Dame's still pretty high. I think he's still averaging about, I think it's 35.8 minutes per game this season. And Chris's minutes, of course, have ramped up since December. And Giannis's minutes have always been pretty solid anyway, about 33, 34. It's just those different combinations. I think now with Pat Beverly in the lineup too, that would like to see, try it out a bit more. Of course, mentioned in one of the sort of mid-season gradings with the Bucks too, that I'd like to see them play a little bit of sort of tall ball, if you want to use that term as well, with Giannis at the three, because that's where he started his career, the small forward. You can play Bobby at the four, Brooke at the five, and really go big and really hurt teams on the glass. We've seen that right in my talk about this very soon with the Chicago Bulls and what they've done with Nikola Vucevic and Andre Drummond with their big lineup as well. Okay, let's move on very quickly. We're running out of time. Uh, the Knicks, we haven't yet mentioned that OG Ananobi is going to get reevaluated in three weeks. He had some bone spurs removed from his elbow. Um, he tried to play through it and do conservative rehab, which occasionally works for bone spurs, uh, but they just went in and operated. It's not usually a long thing, so three to four weeks is, is usually the turnaround there. I will be very interested to watch the next couple of weeks as they play um, Boyan Bogdanovich and... Who'd they else get? Was it Simone Fontecchio? Alec, Alec Burks is the other, sorry. Um, Fontecchio went to Detroit. So I'm very interested to watch them to see if they can sway me as contenders because I think the East is wide open. Uh, and then the last team of those threes was the Suns and I'm sticking to my New Year's resolution and shutting up. Well, I think we'll just leave things at that in terms of that regard too. There's also one other piece of news as well, Alex, which happened a couple of days ago. So you remember Scott Pollard? Uh, I do, yeah. We've got that from the 2008 uh, Celtics team. Yes, Samurai Scott mm. and his different various hairstyles from the bleached hairdo, the four ponytails I think he wore, the Sacramento Kings back in the 2000-2001 season. So he's currently in ICU at the moment and he's needing a heart transplant. So I think, if I'm not mistaken, his dad underwent a very, I think the same procedure as well too. And it's one of those ones that he desperately needs too and one that, I think, of course, we saw during his basketball playing career, right? You remember his days at Kansas when he was teammates with Paul Pierce and Jacques Vaughn and they almost won the NCAA title. I think it was back in 1997, if not mistaken. They lost to Arizona. I know I'm a little bit older than you, Yuri, but that's well before my time, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, he was a very good backup big man to Vlade Divac at the Sacramento Kings and provided a lot of really good energy for the Kings in terms of his rebounding, his setting screens there too. And 
He was a very eccentric character. A lot of his teammates spoke about him in that regard too. He was always very out there in a way, even though he was brought Starting up. I think sound like Mormon. Tom at the bar last night, a very eccentric <laughs> character. He's very out there with his friends. <laughs> yeah, so he was, he was raised in, I think it was a Mormon household, I'm pretty sure in Utah where he was born as well. So it's definitely, you know, it's not great news as well. And fingers crossed that he's able to get that heart transplant as well because why he dealing with playing on the basketball court too as we've mentioned especially the Sacramento Kings days in the early 2000s and I think just those intangibles they brought onto the basketball court that he has a very quick and speedy recovery last piece of news for the show before we get to our performances of the week uh Shaden Sharp from the Trailblazers uh, had surgery for a lower abdo strain probably six to seven weeks out for there bit of a bummer because um having a quietly good season in Portland so, Tom, I don't know if you've got any thoughts on the Blazers or you want to get to your performance of the week. Uh, nah, I'm happy to go straight to the performance of the week, um, which for me, I had Steph Curry the other night against Indiana, which, you know, normally with these performances of the week, we run off the full stat line, but really outside of scoring, he didn't actually do that. Much. He had two assists, <laughs> two rebounds, but 42 points and, you know, 11 of 16 from three and 15 from 22 in the field overall. Steph Curry is the best player to watch, in my opinion, in the whole entire league. When he's when he's on one, it's must-watch TV. You know, I wasn't even watching that game, and then I just saw a tweet where it's like he's you know seven from seven to open up the game, and I'm like, that's gone straight on the TV on League Pass. Let's go! And he's just so much fun. I mean, even right now, I've got him on in the background in this Suns game, and it's just it's just fun. I love watching him. The only time I haven't loved watching him was Game Four of the 2022 Finals. That you know have spent many dollars on therapy to try and remove that from my brain has not worked. But other than that, I, I love watching him play. Uh, you, you and I both had the same performance of the week, so I'll let you share it. We did, Alex. Brandon Ingram's forty-one points in and three he went quarters. Eight of from three, yes. But the other part to it as well, those five threes he hit in a row in the last three minutes of the third. It was so funny the Pelicans commentary, right, with Joel Myers and Antonio Daniels. He's a very good color commentator too. He was a former nineteen ninety-seven lottery pick with the Vancouver Grizzlies, pick four. I think he went to he played his collegiate ball bowling green, and now he's been the Pelicans TV color analyst for the last couple of seasons or so it was so funny his commentary every time bi hit a three right he's like clickety clack put it on the hand in the dice game or something he just kept repeating that I every that time I was, I was on the toronto feed yeah when bi kept knocking down those threes and we talk about right with brandon ingram and we spoke about it in terms of a the Pelican season preview with Brandon Ingram's number threes attempted to, and those numbers just completely went down as the season went by last season. But this is the thing, right? He shoots a 36, 37% clip from three, and the Pelicans don't take a number threes, right? We spoke about how they probably should. It's more a function of injury. They have a lot of guys who can shoot the shit out of it, but um, I'm just, I'm struggling to think of who the hell it is now, but they've all started with multiple injuries for two to three months to start the season. So they've kind of played themselves into a funk of not taking a whole heap of threes, even though they've got guys who can. But yeah, you're right. Um, BI is so fun to watch when he's making shots like that. He's so Yeah, fun. and just the ball movement as well that the Pelicans had to generate to him as well, and he was just left wide open. They end up, I think there was a particular play there where Jordan Nora went to double team him, and he just passed, sort of a leading pass to Jose Alvarado. Alvarado penetrated the paint. I think kicked it out to Herb Jones, if not mistaken, too. One pass to B.I. on the left wing. Ball fakes, I think, Grady Dick, if not mistaken, and let's fly and knocks down a three. It's those plays that the Pelicans can run every single time. Paint penetration, kick out to the perimeter and let BI just let it fly from deep. And 
Because we know every time with the sort of the offensive players they design for BI, he'll curl around the screen or he'll take one or two dribbles and pull up from, say, 15 to 19 feet out. But those different sort of unpredictable offenses that if the Pelicans and Willie Green can run a heap more with BI there, and especially when they play Ingram at that four spot, then it's almost good luck to teams and pick your poison right where you have you can play Zion at the five and CJ there as well too. So no, it was, it was a tremendous performance right from Brandon Ingram and just everything that I think went absolutely according to plan for the Pelicans that night against the Raptors. They shot the ball extremely well. And so does it his third call performance and we're seeing guys like Joe Johnson where he had that 29-point performance against the 76ers back in December 2013. Clay Thompson's 37-point performance against the Kings back on January 23, 2015. He's all had that real sort of feeling in the way inside the Smoothie King Center that every time B.I., touch the ball, that the crowd rose to its feet and the anticipation levels just completely went off the roof. And that's definitely how it felt, though, in that game. And I think it was just one of those ones that Pelicans fans are going to remember for a long time. All right, we're ending today's show on a quick little quiz involving the Most Improved Player Award. Um, I had in our predictions Franz Wagner from the Magic for Most Improved. It was a bit of a long odds. I thought you actually can't bet on that on sports bet in Australia anymore. But today, in a overtime win against the Bulls, he had 36, played the most minutes. So, a fun little tie-in. I'm just wondering if you guys can guess the top five who are currently in the running for the most improved player, according to sports bet. I'll even give you the first one because it's very obvious to Tyrese Maxey, who I don't think should be eligible because we, we all knew this was going to happen. Um, can you guess the remaining four out of the top five? You can just yell uh, out. Kobe White? Kobe White? Kobe White is third at $7 odds. Okay, I think the oh, I was trying to think out of the top of my head the other few contenders. Halliburton is not because he was the other one we were tossing back and forth in the yeah. preseason shows. You can't even vote for him. Uh, Alperin Shangoon. Shangoon is number two at five dollar odds. Oh, okay, number four is it? We still got two more to fill in. Ah, uh, just trying to think who else. I'll give you a hint. It's not Jalen Johnson. He comes in at number six. $56. Oh. Okay. So it's two young players, roughly third or fourth year in the league. Third or fourth year. Ooh. Jonathan Kaminga. Jonathan Kaminga is number four, $13 odds. Uh, and then so just the put last up, one's what, number Scotty, five? Scotty. Yeah, I, I put a Raptors hat over the top of my head. <laughs> yeah. Scotty Barnes at number five. Uh, interesting, though, Cam Thomas from the Nets, uh, $101 odds. Jalen Williams from OKC at 126, who's having a really underrated season. We don't talk enough about J-Dub. And Derek White, $326 odds for most improved. Any shockers there or to be expected? No, I think so, it's pretty even, right? I think it's pretty fair as well. All right, let's end the show there, guys. I need to go get some lunch. Uh, what games are still playing in the background? Anything to update on? The Warriors-Suns game is in the third quarter. The Warriors, eh, not playing so great. And the Mavericks beat the Thunder by 35. Jeez, I missed that earlier this morning. What happened there, Tom? You said what? you were watching that one. No, no, definitely was not watching that oh. one. I think it was like 6 a.m., but I did just had a quick scan of the box scores, and you know the, the Mavs just took over, and Luca controlled it seemingly. Um, outplayed SGA and you know uh, not that I love talking about this guy but Kyrie's having a kind of underrated season but you know just wait until he gets on Twitter in a couple of weeks and just leave it right. something always happens with Kyrie it's like I've been pleasantly surprised um, I don't know if you guys are big Kanye West fans 
dropped an album this morning. I'm not going to listen to it, but I'll be pleasantly surprised if it's all right. So that's how my attitude towards Kyrie Irving is. Kanye West's old albums were the best, Alex. The the Kyrie Irving's old seasons were the best. <laughs> oh, love it. When 2007, Kanye's album. In the 2000, what's that? 2017 NBA Finals. Did I miss it by a year? 16. 16, 16, 16. finals. 16. The See, there's parallels there, guys. That's where we're leaving it for today's show. Thank you very much for joining me, guys. Hopefully next week we got Jack back on. And uh, Jules, I think, will be in an NBA game this time next uh, week. So good luck to him. I don't know which one it is. We'll find out. Uh, thanks, guys. We'll see you next time. Cheers, thanks, Alex. Alex. Cheers, Tom. Uh, welcome back, or if this is going to be the start, welcome to the show. It'll we, be at we, the end. We'll do it at the end. At the end, yeah. We, you know, we're just discussing, you know, Kanye or Kyrie. Who would you rather uh, listen to? But uh, you know, as as we were wrapping up, uh, my Twitter went off, and uh, Woj bomb and Carl Larry's just been bought out by Charlotte and is now uh, going to sign with Philadelphia. So you know, general thoughts, guys. I think good enough for Philadelphia anyway. Of course, with the point guard position too, and I think providing a lot more of that. Bulldog defense run. He reunites with with Nick Nurse too. We can talk like friends. We don't have to put the professional hat back on. We just do yeah. the professional stuff for an hour. I like it. Uh, reunite with Nick Nurse from Toronto. I feel more confident with him as your backup point guard than campaign. I mean, dude's, what, 38 and got a history of missing time this year. But it's a fun addition. Yeah, definitely agree to that as well, Alex. And I think just what he can provide as well and... I think we've seen that right throughout his career, especially at the Raptors, and just that whole bulldog, bulldog-esque defense that he gives on the defensive end too. And I think it's maybe in terms of that one sort of jigsaw to move up, or we'll see, right, when MB does return in a month or in, what, five, six weeks' time for that menisc- meniscus injury. He's not coming back. Tom, do you want to say anything else, or you can send us out of the show again, like you've just brought us back in? Oh, no, I mean, just quickly on it. I mean, we talked during the show about, you know, Pat Beverly just always seemingly going off against the Celtics. This is another guy that always seems to go off against the Celtics. I mean, he was basically one of the main causes why the 2020 bubble Celtics Raptors went to seven games. And if you watched, you know, that seven game series with Miami last year, uh, for the first three games, the Celtics would play perfect defense uh, for about 22 seconds of the shot clock. And then they'd just heave the ball to Lowry and he'd just throw it up from three and it'd go in every time. So... If, if the Celtics are to play Philly and the Bucks in this one playoff run, and potentially Miami as well, I will I will lose about five years off my life and go grey. But otherwise, that's that's my only thought on it. Nice addition. Nick Nurse can you know run a 34-year-old even for 34, 36-year-old in, further, further into the ground like he always does. But we'll see. I don't think Embiid's coming back. But yeah, it, we'll see. Maybe in a week's time, Larry will average 20-something points on this on this team because no one else seems to be playing. But... Anyway, thanks for, thanks for joining us again, guys. Yeah, and, uh, I was looking for my Lowry jersey. I'm like, I'm sure it's behind me, but it must be in the laundry. I could done that for the end of the show. But Tom, sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. You can tell us no. where everyone to find us, five-star rating, all that. That's all you mean. Uh, yeah, five-star rating on you know, podcasts and stuff. Uh, <laughs> what I, a professional. Well, yeah, well, I don't know what to tell you. I'm, I'm you know, like one of those new guys that's just been traded to a team and been told to go out there and you know play. I, I don't know. I'm Grant Williams on the Hornets, all right? I don't, you just give me to tell me to chuck more shots up. I'm not used to this. We're cutting you. Let's get rid of that. All right. <laughs> Thanks. If you enjoyed this last two minutes of the show, please consider giving us a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. That's it, Tom. That's how professional does it. All right. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. Cheers, guys. Just quickly check your Twitter. No other trades before I hit stop. No, nothing yeah. else going on? Nothing, right. nothing else is going on yet. Yeah. Oh, right. thanks. <laughs>